0: Well, good morning, welcome to Valley Lights Church. I'm excited to see you all here today. Now, before we jump into the message for today, I do want to give an uh, an announcement. I have like a big update, a big announcement for our church. And uh, in the relatively short lifespan of our church, we've been going for about two years, we've gathered for church on Sundays in a variety of locations. and uh, you've maybe moved with us you, you may be among those who have journeyed throughout santa clarita <laughs> as we've moved from place to place so the big announcement for today is that we're moving again <laughs> so on january 15th we're going to be moving to rio norte junior high school so that's uh that's a big change and uh, i'm really excited about it there we go there's a fo- there's actually a photo from when we were there before So this is a location that we were in previously. And uh, so this move that we're gonna make, January 15th, that's about, that's just under four months from now. So not too far away, that gives us some chance to prepare. Um, So this place that we're in right now, I affectionately refer to as Seiko, because it's on Seiko Canyon. We're just like, oh, the, the building on Seiko. And Seiko, this building, it felt to me like a life raft when we were trading water in the ocean. <laughs> because when, but right, you know, the week before we moved here, we had nowhere to meet. And um, we were in—actually, we were in this school before here, but uh, we weren't able to meet there for COVID reasons. And we had to—it uh, was during Christmas time and then we met in a park because we were just scrambling to figure out what to do. And then we find—this place opened up to us. God opened this. And I was really, really grateful because this building has provided a lot of stability. It's provided a lot of refreshment for our church to gather and, and have a space. And um, although when we moved in in January of this year, our, you know I had mentioned, hey, our situation is a little precarious because we only have uh, this space month to month. We're paying, don't, us getting in here, um, it only worked for us if we're paying a third of the actual rent, <laughs> and the owner was only willing to allow us to do that because it was empty, and they didn't have any anybody interested. And um, As soon as somebody did come that wanted to pay full price, then we'd have to move, either pay full price or move out, and we we're not able to pay full price. It's very expensive. Full price here, by the way, is about $13,000 a month. So... Um, that, so you know, I'm like, well, and actually we've had, I think we've had probably three or four different groups walk through the building since we've had it, um, you know, considering taking, o- taking over the space for different reasons. Um, so I've known that our time here is uh, somewhat somewhat precarious. I never really saw this as a long-term option. Um, and actually, so, so what we're gonna do, we're gonna move, and we're not moving just only because we're in a precarious situation. But actually, I think, I think moving to Rio Norte is more strategic for our mission and for our goals. Um, and part of the reason for that is one of our big goals as a church is to find and invite people that don't go to church anywhere. Really, people that aren't walking with God and would maybe, maybe you know them or the Lord introduces to them or we meet them at a family sports night or something like that and people, or they you know, drive by and see a sign in our current spot right now, if you're driving by on Seiko Canyon, and if you look at this building, you see um, an old building with a, a strip mall. It's, it's, uh, the parking is really not good. In fact, if you're a guest and you come here and that's full, then you go right here and then there's all those signs that say no par- no church parking. It's kind of hard to figure out. It's right next to a liquor store. It's not bad. <laughs> it's all right. Um, but overall, and then when you, when you look at the building, it just um, it looks small. It's actually pretty nice in here. I actually really like the space in here. But from the outside, if you've never been here and you've never been to a church, it just, it's, hard to, it's hard to get over that initial first impression. And it's hard to get over that, the initial low curb appeal. And um, there's actually been about five churches that have met in this space over the years. And so another probably perception for people in the community is that churches that meet here just can't make it. And some of the other churches that have met here haven't died. <laughs> um, some of them have moved or gotten bigger, but if you don't really know that, then you just think this is the place where churches go to die. <laughs> so, so, you know, we don't, we don't want that impression. <laughs> um, and whatever church comes in, you know, if there's a church that comes in here after us, may the Lord really bless their growth here. Um, you know, so we know, we know the interior is a, it's a great, it's a great spot inside, but when it comes to us doing the mission, of reaching the unchurched in our community, it's really hard to overcome that first impression. And that's really a a big part of our goal is to keep reaching people that don't go to church. And um, this facility, uh, you know, Rio Norte, it's a a junior high school. It's in a really busy neighborhood. There's a lot of life, people driving by there, and there's sports happening in the park nearby. Um, We did actually get quite a few guests. In the short time that we were there, we got a lot of new guests checking us out. Um, it's a it's a new it's a new newish building in the community the parking's really good there's just i think it lowers barriers for new people to come to church and um, so when we do when we do go to Rio Norte one really big thing that's going to be different than here does anybody know what the big different one big difference is yeah it's re, we set up because we're going to be portable again and so we only have Rio Norte for 4 hours or 5 hours on a Sunday this we have all week. Um, by the way, Rio Norte is half the price of what we currently pay here right now. Um, so there's, there's some resources that become available to us as well. But So if we become portable, then doesn't that make things a whole lot harder? I guess, in a way, <laughs> yeah, it does. It, you know, being portable does make things a little bit harder. Hard is not the same as bad. This actually goes for all things in your life. Hard things in your life is not always, does not always mean that it's bad. Actually, it might be good. Um, if, we be, if we need setup and tear down and portability, that actually creates more opportunities for people to get involved. I mean, you already know, we're going to need people, and we're going to need muscles, we're going to need commitment. Yes, and that's actually, I think that's a good need to have because it allows more people to shoulder the load with us. Um, actually, when people serve at church, it contributes to our, to our mission of helping people become contributors. People like helping out, especially, especially guys like being useful. Men like, hey, I can move some stuff. <laughs> I can set things up, I can use my muscles, yeah. It actually pleases Jesus when people become sacrificial and servant-hearted like he, like he is. So being portable, you also gotta remember it's in our roots. We started this way. We were that way in the park, and um, at 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 a hotel, and at the school. So when we were portable, I actually think we did it really well. I think you all who are a part of that, you helped create a really excellent looking space and facility, and we actually have more people and more resources than we did then. So I think our ability to create an excellent environment has only increased since the last time we were portable. So all that to say, I never wanted to start a church so that I could do things the easy way. (laughs) If I was going to do things the easy way, I would not have started a church. Um, What I really want to do is I want to be strategic. I want to be effective and strategic in the mission. In my current sense, and has my sense for a while in my prayer, and I've talked to lots of mentors about this, I actually had a chance to talk to our members about this about a month ago and hear some feedback and get your input. Uh, my sense is that this is a more strategic move, and so it's really, it really is important for me that we make decisions that's motivated by what's best for the mission, really how to get more people into the kingdom of God. So one thing to keep in mind, too, is if we do move, there's no guarantee that that will be long-term either. <laughs> oh, you know, we could move back here. I don't know. Um, What we're trying to do is just take the steps of faith that God seems to be putting in front of us. And that's really all we've been able to do in this journey so far. Actually, my calling to church planting, the verse that God used, was um, the initial one, is uh, 2 Corinthians 5-7, which is, we live by faith, not by sight. So I already know we can't see. I cannot see all the steps ahead. We can really only just take the next step of faith. Um, So, we're just trying to move where I think God is going to bless us with growth and allow us to, to contribute to his kingdom. Um, so the exciting thing is our rental agreement at Rio Norte is set. So the first available date is January 15th. That's a Sunday. Um, there's a bunch of things I haven't figured out yet. I think we're going to need a bigger trailer. We've got to figure out how to get out of this space and transition up there. We'll probably try to enhance some of our portable options and all that. There's a lot to figure out that I'm sure many of you can even help with over the next few months as we get ready for that. Another exciting thing is we have also, I've also reserved a week in June to do another sports camp. And I'm really excited about that. We um, did a sports camp. Actually, as Mitchell said, the clips that you saw a few minutes ago on the screen were from last October. And October, it actually, that, that event went really well. And God blessed us a lot through it. I'm excited to try it in June. It's gonna be right after, it's shortly after school gets out. The summer months, there may be even more opportunity for us to invite more people to be a part of that. And so we have that reserved at Rio Norte as well, the same place that we did it before. And um, so it's kind of exciting. We'll move there. I really do anticipate and believe that God will allow us to grow in that space and then be in that community for another big outreach in the summer. So I'm, I'm excited about all that. I'm excited for, um, you know, even though things might be hard in the transition, in the process, I think some good things will come from that. So I wanted to give you an update about that. And then let me know, by the way, let me know if you have any questions or if you have any input or thoughts, um, either after church or just at any point, you, you know, communicate with me. I'd love input as we go along. All right. So let's dive into the series, the tip for today. We're in, we're in this series called The Financial Squeeze. And sort of the, one of the, things that prompted my desire to do this series, and actually I'm doing this with um, two other pastors There's a church in Riverside and one in Huntington Beach, and the three of us are writing this series together. And the thing that kind of prompted all of us is, you know, this current economic situation that we're all in. You know, when you're thinking about being squeezed, it's, the, you know, being squeezed is when you face pressure from all sides, not just one side, but you're being squeezed in different, different ways. And I think we're all being affected one way or another by the financial squeeze that's coming. A lot of that's coming from inflation. You know, the experts had predicted that August would be the turning point for inflation. I don't know if you tracked with the news, but yeah, they, they said that was going to be the turning point. Well, last <laughs> the, the August numbers came in and inflation is still growing. <laughs> you know, there you have it. So we're, we're all feeling it. We're, we're experiencing that. I don't know if anybody's I don't know if there's anybody that hasn't had their decision-making affected, at least in some way, by our current society's economic situation. The government is scrambling to address the problem, but really the focus of this series is on what God is doing in the middle of the financial squeeze. God has a long-standing offer to help us in our need. We started last week by looking at this really amazing verse from Isaiah, Chapter 46, verse 4, says, this is uh, God speaking to his people, and he says, I will be the same until your old age, and I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will bear and rescue you. It's a pretty amazing statement. God speaking to his people. This is, this is a, a promise that lasts through the length of life. God's commitment to, to help us, um, not just with finances, but actually all areas of life. God says he, he made us and he will carry us. And there's there's situation, you know, as it talks about, as, as you get old and gray, <laughs> you can't stop the clock. You're getting older. We're getting grayer. And even in that, those things that we can't even control, God makes this promise. God does, in a way, carry us. And that includes financially. How does God carry us? How does, if, it says, if he says he's going to rescue us, how does he rescue us from financial trouble? Does a big hand come out of heaven and write on one of those big cardboard checks? (laughs) No, it doesn't do it quite that way. God he he does help us greatly and he does it often behind the scenes, arranging circumstances in our lives and sends people to help. But if he if he does help us financially, there are some conditions. In this series, we're actually looking, we're spending four weeks looking at four of the conditions that are attached to God's offer to help us. If you want God's help to deal with the financial squeeze, if you need a way out of some of the pressure and the tightness you're feeling, we need to know what are what are the conditions that God expects of of us. Last week we looked at the topic of carrying my load, really bearing responsibility for my financial situation. This week we're looking at this next condition called choose contentment. So last month, the government passed the Inflation Reduction Act. And the plan basically is to raise taxes and increase spending. (laughs) So in contrast, let's just throw the contrast. God's plan is really different from that. It's a different strategy. God's plan calls for a reduction in spending and an increase in contentment. Now, this is not really the strategy the government's using. That's okay. They're just going to do what they're going to do. But what for, if, that, if this is, as followers of Jesus, if we're going to do things God's way, really, if we think about this idea of contentment, what does that even mean practically? The root idea of contentment is, is you consider, just consider what you have. Consider how much you have. Not just money, but stuff too. What do you have right now? And are you okay with that? Are you okay with what you currently have Or do you need a little bit more in order to be happy or satisfied? Or do you need a little bit more to be free from fear and worry? Contentment, that's a condition of just accepting what God has given us already. So, are you content? How would you even know it? How would you know if someone is content? Maybe they just walk around with a smile. Just like a placid look, like, ah. I'm content. No, (laughs) contentment isn't something really you carry on your face. Uh, It actually resides in your heart, like a secret, like a secret in your heart. The Apostle Paul writes about this great secret in the New Testament book of Philippians. And uh, he's writing from prison. He's been arrested, telling people about Jesus. And he's writing from a, a prison cell in Rome And there's a church in Philippi that had sent him a gift to help. And so part of Philippians is his writing a letter to thank them. Actually, it was really, really useful, what they had sent to him while he was in prison. And so he says this in Philippians 4. He says, um, says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to, to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. I like how he says both of those, by the way. I don't, know, I don't know if you currently feel like you have a little or if you currently feel like you have a lot, but it's important that we learn how to have contentment in both of those. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret. There's a secret. He's like, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So what's the secret? I don't know if you've ever read this and you'll be like, well, what is it? <laughs> what is the secret? He doesn't actually really say what it is. He's not like, the secret is to doosh. No, no. Paul. So, So first of all, what he's doing in these verses is he's doing two things. One, he's thanking the Philippians, because it really was helpful that they sent a gift. But then the other thing he's saying is he's making it clear that while he was grateful, he didn't need it in order to be okay. Paul knows what it's like to be in need. He's not talking about the kind of need that we often face. His need didn't threaten his investments. His investments were not threatened. It was actually his life that was, in th- that was threatened. Being in a prison in Rome wasn't like it is here and now. A prisoner's survival was often dependent on some of the food and the clothes given by friends or family. So if you're going to be in prison, you need somebody on the outside helping you out. So how did Paul learn this secret? Of contentment that allowed him to be at peace in prison. He learned it by experience over time. Okay, this, this is the secret. It's not a formula. You learn it by walking through having little. You learn it by walking through having a lot. You experience it. He describes a wide range of experiences that he had. So when Paul was in a need, he learned, I got to trust God. And I just got to be at peace with what God has given me right now. And then when Paul had a lot and plenty, he learned to not get carried away and trust the money. Paul didn't start out content. None of us do. That's why he says, I learned it. At some point, I learned it means he didn't know it before, which is where we all are. We have to learn it too. How do you, how do you learn this secret of contentment? It's by the ups and downs of life. When you have a lot when you have a little when you're feeling the pressure or things unexpected happen all of that is god's classroom of contentment designed to give us the opportunity to be freed from the roller coaster of circumstances i kind of wish wouldn't it be nice if the secret of contentment actually was like a formula you could just it's some mental trick or just just flip a switch? It's not that easy, it, just, it comes through practice. It means you have to walk through life and learn this as you go. So are you currently content with your financial situation? Are you okay with your, whatever, whatever possessions you have right now, are you content with that at this moment? Contentment doesn't mean that you don't want another raise and you have no ambition to grow your income. <laughs> That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you can't keep advancing and growing and all that. Um, to say, to say I, I don't need to even progress in life or even responsibly grow my wealth, that, to say that's unnecessary is to be complacent, not content. Here's a definition of contentment. To be free of external circumstances. Whatever the ups, whatever the downs, it doesn't affect you. You're able to keep going, keep trusting. So are you free from your financial condition or are you a slave to it? Do you have joy and well-being in a sense of peace and stability apart from your money? Or do your emotions rise and fall with your net worth? Or do your emotions plummet when you look at the bank account? You're like, ah! Or the the credit card is like, whoa, how did that credit card get so high? Jeez. Or retirement, you know, those accounts, you see those go up and down. Man, I mean, your emotions go like this, up and down. When you look at all that stuff. Can you sleep when money's tight, or does it consume your waking and sleeping hours? Is money the thing that makes your day good or bad? I mean, if we're honest, for many of us, money's got us by the throat. It's a struggle to be free from the grasp of it, or money, or stuff. If you're squeezed, if you're feeling the squeeze right now, that means you're in the classroom. And God wants you to learn, learn the secret of contentment. God wants you to learn that secret. So here's the secret. Here's more of the secret. In verse 13, the next verse that I didn't read in this passage is, Paul says, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. You've probably, you probably know this verse. Maybe you've heard it before. applied it to different situations. Apply it to the situation of contentment. Now, this is interesting. This is not, this, you know, Philippians 4, 13 is not some motivational speech to repeat to ourselves when when things are hard. This phrase contains the secret of the Christian life. And really, it's that God's power is at work in us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and he's your Lord, man, you've got God's power in you. That's an amazing thing. When we decide to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, the mighty power of God enters into us. It's an activity on the part of God through us. You actually see this idea everywhere in the New Testament. Um, another part of Philippians 1.6, it says, He who started a good work, God started a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Also, another part of Philippians, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Also in Ephesians 3.20, now to him, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. A lot of references to God's mighty power, and it lit, it's in you if you're a follower of Christ. That's amazing. So if, if God's power, you know, the one that created, you know, we actually saying God of wonders beyond our galaxy. If, if the power that created the galaxies is inside of me, then I can handle anything that comes my way. I can handle it if I have to go without. I can be content in a Roman prison if that's the path that God puts me on. But this is not what most people think about the Christian life, though. It's, mo- most people kind of want to make this moral deal with God where, here's the deal, listen, God, I keep the rules, keep my nose clean, I do what you say, and in exchange, you use your power to make my life easy. <laughs> So I, I obey and things should go well. Like, and in fact, if things are not going well, what the, what is going on? It should be going smooth right now. The problem with this deal that we make with God is that it's our deal. It's not his deal. This is the deal written by us. God's offer, what he really does offer us. So his offer includes forgiveness for the past and then help for the present. That's what he offers. God's plan is... He's not planning to use his power to remove the hard things from our life. He's planning to use the hard things to grow us. His power is in us. It's not, you know, out in front of us clearing a path of ease. I don't know if you ever heard of a lawnmower parenting. (laughs) Where, uh, you know, the lawnmower parenting ideas where parents who just, they just like cut down every obstacle for their kids. So like they just make everything easy, try, try to like, solve every problem before the kid gets there and like make sure they don't have any emotional troubles. You you could guess how that ends up in life. You know, kids are like unable to deal with like real life. Well, God does the same thing. He doesn't lawnmower all of our problems. He sends us right on through them and grows us through it. Okay, so now you know the secret. (laughs) Now you know the secret of contentment, but that doesn't mean you've learned it yet. Because like I said, man, how, how do you actually learn it? It's by experience. You learn it by going through it. There's actually a two-part curriculum in 1 Timothy 6 where Paul talks more about this idea of contentment. Here's how we learn contentment by experience. All right, two ways. One, one way is planned contentment. So you actually decide and plan in advance I am going to grow in contentment. Paul writes about this, and he says that there are some people, there are, there are some people that, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So that's that idea. Like, hey, I'm godly. Things are going to go well. Like, I do what God says. He's going to bless me. There are some people that think that way. And he, here's, he says, actually, no, it's a little bit different. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The greatest gain is to be found, it's not financial. The greatest gain is obeying God and contentment. What a blessing that would be. What if it didn't really matter how many finances I had, but I was still obeying and content? And again, this doesn't mean, contentment doesn't mean you refuse every raise. Don't pay me more. I'm content. (laughs) No, it just means that your primary focus is on accepting the amount of money that I do have and growing in my obedience to God and really growing my godliness. So the reason this is planned is you don't just intend to do this, you plan to do it. It means practically we budget our spending to match our income and we budget our time to grow in godliness. It's kind of like kind of budgeting both of those things, our time And our our spending. So in in a financial squeeze, what we tend to do, if you do feel the pressure or if things got really tight or if unexpected things hit you financially, what we tend to do is the opposite. We tend, you know, we keep spending, keep spending, just keep on spending and then maybe even go into debt to maintain the lifestyle and then scale back on our efforts to grow spiritually so I can put more time into, you know, dealing with the squeeze on my own. Really, for us to, to budget either our time or our money is to decide in advance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allocate my resources intentionally. Godliness is great gain because as we do life God's way, his power at work in us increases. That would be really helpful. So when it comes to time, how do you budget your time for godliness? Well, it's to decide in advance that you will spend some of your time on godliness activities. <laughs> so you, that means, you know, you make church a priority. You decide, no, this is, this is, an, this is an, a deal breaker for me to be there on Sunday. Or you carve out time to read your Bible and pray. Or you carve out time to be a part of a, a group where people from church are growing in, in godliness. 14 years ago, I was invited to go to a conference in Fort Worth led by Pastor Harold Bullock. He's the, the pastor of the church that God used to change my life and the pastor that started our network is indirectly responsible for our church getting started. And so 14 years ago I was invited to that conference. And that was the first of many annual trips that Aaron and I made to Fort Worth. And when we did that, it was never convenient. <laughs> it was it cost us a lot of money and babysitting was always a challenge as as the kids, as we got more kids, and but we we budgeted, we budgeted for it time and mental energy and space. And that annual trip has been one of the most significant contributors to my Christian growth. And uh, there's another, so the conference that's happening again this year is in, in November, and it's called, it's called Relevate, Relevate Conference. And um, the topic is how to make emotions work for you. Um, and so this is, you can, I, can, I, have, uh, I think I've sent some info to our members. For those of you that haven't heard about I can send you more information if, if this sparks your interest. Um, But it's three days. It's actually during the week. So it means taking some time off of work. And uh, this, so it's actually, this is the first time it's in California. It's normally been in Texas. And that would add to the costs, but it's in Huntington Beach. And um, so we're we're planning to go to that. And so I'd recommend just kind of in line with what we're talking, maybe you'd at least consider taking time and spending money to be a part of that. There's another way that you could budget your time to grow in godliness. And you've heard about our family sports night. And this is a big outreach, as Mitchell said earlier during announcements. And uh, I'm excited, I'm really excited about this. Um, If you were to carve out some time to help us with this event, you're not just helping one event be successful. You're helping us accomplish our mission as a church. This event is gonna help us reach more people. It's gonna help us grow. It's gonna help us bring more people closer to God. It helps, as a church, stay on mission. There really was an amazing sense of teaming when we did sports camp last year. And just like, man, we are in this together, we're working hard, we're exhausting ourselves. And so again, we have a chance to um, expend ourselves, to carve out time, to carve out energy, really to pour ourselves into something that's gonna go beyond ourselves. That's that's an exciting opportunity. Um, This really is a way to grow even more in godliness as we serve the interests of Christ. One of the guys that goes to our church right now, we baptized a couple weeks ago, became a Christian this summer because we met him at sports camp last year. And so I'm excited about who knows what more may come from these outreach efforts that we do. And um, you know anytime we do something like this, we're always like, I feel like we're always biting off slightly more than we can chew. (laughs) But that's kind of, you know, that's kind of, you know, the pushing to the edge of faith constantly. We don't just do things that I feel perfectly safe and comfortable doing. I think God is wanting us to do more. And so that's why we're hoping that you'll consider helping out in some way um, or inviting others to help out in some way. So those are just a few practical ideas and examples of, you know, how how can I budget my time to intentionally grow in godliness and, and find contentment apart from my situation? The other kind of budgeting, of course, is financial. And that's when we look at our income and we make a monthly plan that fits within the limit of what we earn. A budget allows you to plan to be content. Budget, I don't know if you guys like the word budget. Sometimes you hear it and you're like, oh gosh, budget, I don't, oh, I don't, want, I don't want a budget. That sounds awful. And so here's the thing though. If you're spending more than you earn, you are discontent. <laughs> it's just simple numbers. I mean, and here's actually a question. Do you, do you even know if you're spending more than you're earning? It's actually kind of hard to figure out. This, this year, I've been, we've, you know, we've been getting a, a better grip on our finances. And, I've, and I've, I've wanted, my first question is, I want to know the answer to that. Am I spending more than I'm earning? Because there's a lot of impact from the answer to that question. Um, but that's hard to do. But if you spend more than you earn, you're telling God, God, you're not giving me enough money. <laughs> That's I'm spending more, God, because you have not supplied enough money for me. So here's, here's a bold statement to any of you that, doesn't, that don't currently use a budget. If you don't use a budget right now, which is probably a lot of you, statistically, I looked up the statistics. Um, if you don't use a budget that tracks what you spend, your spending will grow. If you don't budget, your spending will grow. There's three things that you can do with your money. You, you, can do, you can give it, you can save it, or you can spend it. And those are the three things. So the spending category we know all about, and that's the one that grows all by itself. The other two categories, giving and saving, don't grow on their own. Man, like why don't those ones ever get bigger? They only get bigger when you decide to do that. So. We need a plan to limit the spending so that we can grow the other categories and stay within what God has given us. And so this is why budgeting is just so unpopular. So a recent Gallup poll revealed that only 30% of Americans use a budget, and of those, even less stick to the budget. (laughs) Um, Without a budget, it's very, very hard to learn how to be content. And if you're new to it, if you tried it, or if you wanna try it, and if you're new to budgeting, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of diligence, and if you, if you try it out, don't get discouraged. It's, it's taken my wife and I years to get a budget in place, and then something happens, we have kids, and she stops working, or income changes, or right? I get a new job, and then you have to start all over and rewrite the budget, and, and it's, it's hard. It's like, it, it's, it's hard work. <laughs> it's hard, important work. Um, we're currently in the middle of restructuring our budget right now, and it, it's a painful process. So, uh, if you want to move in that direction, you feel like maybe I need to do that. Some budgeting tools I might recommend: here's um, three virtual ones. Uh, you Need a Budget, YNAB. Every dollar is one. It's a, a system that Dave Ramsey created, and then Mint. Uh, that's by Intuit. Those are those are some different options, and. If you have more questions about that, I can answer questions. But if you want help with budgeting, there's actually a few guys in our church that have a good track record of doing this and are doing it well. And could even, we could even pro- provide some help in getting that set up. So that's all in the category of planning to be content. The other thing that we learned in 1 Timothy is unplanned contentment. Okay, so we need, we need this other aspect when we face disappointments in life. So in verse 7 of 1 Timothy 6, you know, Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he says this interesting verse. He says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. I don't know how familiar you are with the, story, the Old Testament story of Job. These words actually point back to a story about a guy who lost everything. His name was Job, and he was, at one point, the richest man of his day, and then disaster struck. And he, he kind of lived, this idea that Paul's talking about, he, Job lived this. And so just to, to give you a little background, Job chapter 1, it says, Job stood up, this is after he lost everything. He tore his robe, and he shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this place. Naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. There's actually a a great worship song that maybe you have sung at church in the past that has these lyrics. um, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You'll never find a more amazing response to the kind of day that Job had. (laughs) If you had the day that Job had, I'm not sure I would have responded this way. What's, what's behind his perspective on this incredible response? Well, he was convinced that his life wasn't about the things that were added or the things that were taken away. Like Job, many of us, we acquire property and assets and spouses and families. And as you go through life and you acquire things, it's only natural to begin to think that those acquisitions add value to the person. That I'm kind of more valuable based on this stuff that I have. But just in case we get confused on this point, God says the exact same thing at death. You're going out the very same way that you came in with nothing. You go out with nothing. So what is the point of life then? You get the chance to praise God by living a life that pleases him and by making a God impression in the lives of those that you encounter. So it turns out we don't need pockets to take anything with us. There are some things that we can do in this life that have eternal value. So if the stuff, all the stuff in life doesn't matter, what's the purpose of it? Well, you need things, you need stuff and money. But it's really, it's really the backdrop to your life, not the point of it. All the stuff in our life, and the acquisitions, and the money, and the bank accounts, they're, they're kind of like props on a stage. The scenes change and the props come and go. The, the point is the story being told, not the props that come and go. It's really the, the honoring God's story that is so important. And so I think it seems like God's plan is to add and then take things away from our lives to get our attention back to the real story, the thing that life really is about. So with that amazing, you know, Job has this amazing response in chapter 1. You know, I, I like that ending statement. He says, throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. You're like, man, this is, this is probably going to be the shortest book in the Old Testament. Let's just wrap it up right there. But it goes on for 42 more chapters. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason is because Job's friends come around to help him process his loss. Thanks a lot, friends. doesn't go so great. This, now, this causes Job to question, why, he's been, why, why have I been singled out for this loss? Not, not these other guys. Man, it's one thing to be content with what God gives you, but it's another to accept what God gives them. Man, that gets your mind spinning. For 37 chapters, Job struggles because he's comparing himself to his friends. Comparison is a great contentment destroyer. So Job, he started out great. Now he's demanding answers. In chapter 38, God finally answers Job's questioning. Like, God, what is the deal with all this stuff? Actually, the way that, the way that God answers is that he asks Job questions for four chapters. And, and God asks Job questions like this. So Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who, did you help me decide the dimensions for earth? Did you do the math on all that? Are you the one that set... The boundaries for the coastlines of all the countries? Are you the one that sends lightning bolts? The lightning bolts report to you and say, here we are. Are you, Job, the one who determined all the unique creatures on the planet and what they look like? So God says, Job, since you did all those things, I'll go ahead and I'll just, I'll await your correction. Job gets the (laughs) points. Job responds, oh my gosh. I know, God, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. God, you ask who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I didn't understand. Things too wondrous for me to know. Job's very humbled in this moment. He had a beef with God about what he had and what he lost and what was taken away and then he's just totally humbled. We also live in a world full of things that we don't fully understand. We don't Totally know why God does all that He does. We know some things. There's a lot He's given us some, but there's a lot we don't know. (laughs) I didn't set the coastlines in on the planet, I didn't set the dimension, I didn't make a single creature that lives on this planet. I don't, there's things so far beyond me. And so we've got to live in this world and not make our brains the limit of our trust. We don't understand how things grow but it really hasn't kept us from eating. (laughs) I don't know exactly how plants grow and it's God the ones that sustains them, but I I sure do eat every day. So don't make the fact that you don't understand all that God is up to in your life, don't let that stop you from trusting and following him. Don't limit your trust in God to your brain size. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to say with the Apostle Paul, verse, you know, Philippians 4.11, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Wouldn't that be nice? So maybe as you think about this, maybe to apply this this week, maybe you need to budget your, your time to grow in godliness. So maybe you say, I need, I need to consider going to a group or that conference or a son, make a commitment to attending on Sundays. Or maybe you need to get serious about setting up a financial budget and then really stick to it. You've been hearing about that finance seminar that we have coming up next weekend. It's it's on a Saturday night. It really is gonna be practical. Some of the time is gonna be dedicated to explaining how budgets work. The portion of the time is focused on budgets. So if you feel uncertain about how to proceed, that can really help you feel more equipped how to get more on track with a personal plan. If you wanna come to that, make sure you sign up on your connection card. Another thing you might do as you're thinking about it is maybe, maybe I need to identify an area of discontentment. Maybe I feel like I'm lacking something, or I feel like I'm going without something, or there's something I really want to buy, or there's just ah, something nagging. Maybe, maybe there's some kind of area of discontent, and you just decide, I'm going to, I'm going to trust God with that. Whether I get it, or don't get it, or pray about it, whatever I do, I'm just going to trust him with it. Or another thing, another thing you might do this week is maybe you need to refuse to compare your situation with somebody else. And if we face it, there there is such a strong temptation to look around what everybody else is doing financially. It's so tempting to notice the purchases or make guesses about their income or even judge the financial decisions of others. But comparing ourselves to other people is an instant path to discontentment. Is it worth it? Is it really worth it comparing to give up contentment? To do well in life, we have to keep our thoughts vertical on dealing with God's dealing with us, not horizontal by comparing ourselves. I can only make progress when I accept my lot before God in faith and ask for His help to bring Him glory and work out the plan that He's given me to bear my responsibilities well. Next week, we're going to continue this message series, and as I had mentioned, the point of this series is to look at those four big, um, really, you know, uh, aspects that, things that we need to bring. If we're going to experience God's help financially, there's four things that we need to do, and so next week, we're going to look at another one. It's really kind of tied more to emotions, and when it comes to money and possessions, we can get really consumed with anxiety and worry, or maybe we get sad and despairing about our situation or we get frustrated and angry. We're going to look at how to deal with the emotions when you're in the financial squeeze. So I hope you'll join us again next week. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for showing us today a path towards contentment. And really, I pray that you'd help us to learn by experience how to live content. I thank you, Lord, for providing the way you do. You provide really not necessarily everything that we want, but you do provide things that are good for us. And you desire for some things that are far greater than just that we are happy and have a lot of nice stuff. You care that we grow in Christlikeness. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in that path. Help us each to identify an area where we can do that. I pray also for that family sports night coming up. I pray that you would keep providing the resources needed for that to go well and that you would use our church to be, on mission to help many more people come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.